All right, I think we're ready to kick things off. I'm DJ Hines. I'm Canaccord's uh, senior software analyst. Uh, thank you all for being here. Uh, this is the first time we've done this e-commerce symposium. We're delighted to have Salesforce uh, here, one of the, the sessions that I was really looking forward to hosting. Um, we have Adam Blitzer, who's EVP and GM of, of digital, and I'll, I'll let him talk a little bit about what all that entails at Salesforce. Um, we're going to try and make this as interactive as possible. There, there's a, a Q&A function on the webinar, so um, if folks tuned in uh, online have questions, please send them in. Uh, I'll be keeping an eye on it, and I'll work them into the conversation. But uh, we have 25 minutes, um, so it probably makes sense to get right into it. Um, Adam, thank you uh, for being here. Uh, as I said, we, we really appreciate it, and I was looking forward to this one. Um, maybe just to let, level set everybody, can, can you talk a little bit about your background? Uh, you've been in the MarTech space for a long, long time. Um, maybe how that brought you to Salesforce and kind of what your role is uh, at the firm today. Sure, absolutely. And first of all, thanks for having me, DJ. It's great to be with you today. Um, so I've, I'm a bit of an old hand at MarTech. I wound up starting a company called Pardot in 2007 in Atlanta. It was a business-to-business marketing automation system, so really focused on demand generation, lead tracking, lead scoring, but very B2B-centric. Uh, built that company organically in Atlanta. We bootstrapped it, uh, and then we sold it to a larger digital marketing company in 2012 that was newly public called Exact Target. Uh, got to Exact Target. We were just about to paint our walls orange, and then about 10 seconds later, we sold Exact Target to Salesforce. So it was a very <laughs> quick hop. Uh, it was about 10 months close to close. Uh, and, you know, it was exactly sort of the right place to be for a business like ours that was so focused on B2B marketing. Uh, it was very much in the wheelhouse of Salesforce. Exact Target became the B2C engine of Salesforce. Pardot really became the B2B marketing engine. Uh, I worked largely on the B2B side of the house for the next four to five years. I ran the sales cloud, so a lot of what people think of as CRM at Salesforce. And then about 18 months ago, I really switched focus to the digital side of our business. And so that is our marketing cloud, our commerce cloud, and our experience cloud. Um, so all the things that a chief digital officer might care about to have great relationships uh, with their customers, to really build a connected customer experience. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good, but uh, obviously digital is where the action has been really over the past year. You know, as we've entered into the pandemic and businesses that were digital second coming into the pandemic became digital only by necessity, you know, there, there's just been a tremendous, tremendous amount of digital transformation occurring. And we really think the businesses that are going to grow the fastest as we come out of this are going to be the ones that have managed to become digital first. So that's a quick background on me and uh, excited for the conversation. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, you're, you're the, the main man to talk to with all the, the hot trends happening at, uh, at Salesforce, so that's great. Um, given, obviously, the focus of today is e-com, we're going to focus the conversation there, but I, I do have some questions that can maybe cross into some of the other clouds. But um, let's start with kind of like the last year in, in what's happened in the pandemic. I mean, it's just, it's just been such a transformative period in, in, in commerce, and it feels like, you know, everybody made the move to online if they weren't there already. Um, maybe just talk about kind of uh, the, the biggest challenges that you saw uh, in your customer base and kind of how Salesforce uh, was able to help uh, those folks, you know, solve their needs. Sure. Yeah, I'll talk about a couple of different challenges. Um, you know, one, I would say for companies that didn't have a direct relationship with their customers, uh, the pandemic threw them for a loop. And by this, I mean, you know, many consumer packaged goods companies, many manufacturers 
where, you know, their old advantages of having great placement on store shelves or, you know, a tremendous amount of inventory sold through third parties, kind of, you know, the big marketplaces out there, all of a sudden, you know, those channels were shut down to them, right? People couldn't get into big box retailers or you had, you know, the major marketplaces had to focus on essential goods. And so all of a sudden, if you were a consumer packaged goods company or manufacturer, there was some period of time where potentially no one could actually buy your goods. They were just sort of sitting somewhere. And, and if you weren't direct to consumer, if you didn't have a direct relationship, you were in a bit of trouble. Um, so that is one thing that we've really seen uh, addressed uh, sort of in mass over the past year is so many of these companies were already planning on a direct-to-consumer strategy. You know, maybe not as their main strategy, but as kind of another pillar of their commerce strategy. Uh, and it was sort of viewed as a nice-to-have. And I think the pandemic really blew that, you know, brought that into focus as a must-have, a have-to-have. And, you know, businesses are saying, I never want to be disintermediated from my customer again. You know, this is a trend that sort of started, you could almost, you know, if you look back years ago at what happened with Gillette, you know, versus Dollar Shave Club and Harry's Razors and these kind of direct consumer sort of digital native brands were able to come in and take a significant percentage of the market just by having that direct relationship. That's what sort of started this. But then I think the pandemic showed just how vulnerable you can be if anything happens uh, in that sort of distribution chain with your customer. The second uh, major challenge that we saw was just logistics in general. So, um, you know, not only were you sort of potentially cut off from cus your customer, you're also potentially cut off from your supply of goods, right? Just things making it uh, to your distribution centers to be shipped out to customers became really unpredictable at different times uh, and could really result in a poor customer experience. And so we saw, you know, stores starting to do interesting things, thinking about their retail footprint, um, you know, so brands thinking about all the stores that they have that might be closed really as sort of mini warehouses for goods and look at how do we unlock all of this inventory that's just trapped in our stores and use those stores as shipping centers. Um, now, we just happened to have launched and, and made generally available our order management service uh, at the beginning of last year. So right before the pandemic actually started. And we didn't realize that this would become as strategic of a product as it became just over the next few months. When you think about what order management does is, you know, it gives the customer a tremendous amount of control over how they get their order, right? Do they, uh, you know, buy online and pick it up in a store? Do they pick it up curbside? Could they arrange for it to be kind of sent through a different distribution center with, than what they were originally planning? So that became a really strategic product. You know, the trends were all there, but the pandemic really accelerated that. And the reason is it gave all of these retailers just a way to give their customers more control over that inventory uh, and how those orders were coming. Yeah, it's super interesting, right? I mean, Salesforce is so big and does so much that we don't always get to shine a light on some of the interesting stuff that you guys were doing. I remember, you know, demand were going down the road of like, you know, order management when you guys acquired them. Um, um, it's interesting to, you know, to hear the timing of it and how that impacted kind of your, uh, your opportunities in the pandemic. Um, one thing I wanted to, to, to hit on, um, you know, look, we've obviously seen like the, the record GMV in, in the space. Um, I think you guys reported the 74% GMV growth in Q4. Um, so volume and value transactions, super strong. I'm curious about what you saw from a new business perspective, right? Because we also heard of, you know, traditional brick and mortar customers kind of moving online for the first time, um, you know, out of necessity, essentially. 
Um, maybe just talk about um, kind of the demand drivers for, for Salesforce um, over the last year or so. Sure. Yeah, we saw, you know, demand across a few different vectors. You know, the first one, you're absolutely right. There was a tremendous amount of GMV growth. And one way to think about it is, you know, essentially every day was holiday level traffic. Literally every day was holiday level traffic. And not not just for us, but for the entire industry. You know, if you look at our peers, I mean, everybody was seeing this tremendous surge in GMV, which, you know, ultimately leads to increased revenue, increased bookings from your existing customer base. The other thing we saw was, again, you know, a tremendous amount of digital transformation projects being pulled forward. So businesses that already had an e-commerce strategy, but were just looking to take that to the next level, and maybe they didn't have it planned in the next year, they wound up pulling those forward. And I would say the way businesses were thinking about digital transformation is, you know, they probably have many different things on their agenda. They prioritize all the things that touch their customers directly. So as opposed to sort of back office innovations, anything that touched their customers directly, those were the things that got pulled over or pulled forward. We were able to do a number of really transformational uh, strategic deals. I, I think it was after our Q2 earnings call. You know, we talked about our, our um, you know, incredible customer VF Corp, uh, which has a great portfolio of brands like North Face and Timberlands and Vans. Um, obviously, you know, they already had an e-commerce strategy historically, uh, you know, partnered with Salesforce has been able to do some incredible things, implement things like live shopping, you know, which takes advantage of kind of this, this, uh, virtual experience that we're all in now. Uh, but still you feel like you're with an expert really seeing, you know, the merchandise in sort of a, you know, a, a one-to-many, but it feels like a one-to-one fashion. Um, so, you know, Still kind of, uh, you know, our bread and butter of, you know, major, major retailers, tremendous amount of new business there. The third thing I would say is also new industries that maybe we traditionally didn't have as big of a footprint in uh, have started to really adopt e-commerce, uh, maybe in a way that we wouldn't have expected a few years ago. Um, and these are companies in healthcare life sciences. These are companies in automotive these are companies in like quick serve restaurants. Um, you know, we've been able to do deals across all of these. One of the things that I think really helped us during the pandemic is we realized a lot of companies are doing this for the first time. So, you know, when I mentioned those new industries, they're going from a world of kind of no e-com to e-com and may not have a tremendous amount of in-house expertise or also they just need to get something up and running quickly. So we launched what we call our quick start programs, where these are very opinionated services engagements around particular use cases. It could be around things like, you know, social selling or subscription management. So it's commerce for a very specific use case where we can get a customer up and running in a couple of weeks. And then, of course, they could build on it from there. Um, but really, the idea of taking that implementation timeline, taking the cost of implementation down very, very significantly so the customer could get up and running for their, their specific use case. So again, GMV sort of explosion, you know, new business in our traditional bread and butter, and then expansion into other industries uh, has really been where we've seen the growth. Yeah, perfect. Uh, let's put a finer point on the, the GMV part of the equation, right? Because I think I think your business model is a little bit different than others in the space. You know, we kind of see this like instant gratification jump in, in growth for a company like a Shopify or or, or, or the like. Um, maybe just talk about kind of how that GMV might flow through uh, the P&L yeah. for, for Salesforce. 
Yeah, and uh, DJ, I have two little kids, so I try to teach them that life is not about instant gratification. You know, sometimes <laughs> you got to do the journey and see it. Uh, so we, we handle our GMV a little bit different. So, you know, our customers essentially commit to what they expect their GMV to be with us. And, you know, over time, they work through that GMV. So when we see a surge of GMV, essentially what it means is we'll see future revenue. So it's not, you know, exactly at that moment in time. Uh, you know, they're sort of going to do an early renewal. They're going to kind of re-up their GMV amount with us and then burn through a new amount of GMV. Um, so essentially, you know, it's there's a slight delay, but it's, you know, the leading indicator uh, for, you know, what we're going to see in the future. So yeah, similar so model, fair slightly to think, different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's fair to, to assume that some of the strength that we've seen in terms of volumes have yet to translate into your financials. Uh, for example. Yeah, it's, so it's fair to say that there's there's generally a slight delay, and so when a you lot. see a surge sure. in when you see a surge in GMV, yeah. you should see what follows sort of after that. Um, yeah. You know, as kind of those customers re up, because uh, essentially what happens is they've already committed to a certain amount of GMV, so we we sort of see that in the beginning. They as they burn through that amount of GMV over time, and the pandemic really accelerated that. So you can imagine right. customers okay. using that GMV commitment faster than anyone expected, and that's good for the customer. It's good for us, right? It's sort of first principles around you want your customers doing as much GMV as possible. That will lead to, uh, you know, sort of an, an increased size of deal with us in the future. Yeah, make, makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right, so enterprise deployments in the space are, are generally pretty sticky, right? It's like open heart surgery to kind of replatform uh, your e-commerce system. That said, I, I think there's a perception among investors that, you know, demandware may be getting a little bit, you know, old around the edges, right? That it's a bit more, you know, IT resource intensive versus, you know, some of the maybe um, newer tools to the space. How would you respond to, to that? And, and then, you know, maybe you could talk about kind of where Salesforce uh, has invested in the platform and, um, you know, where those efforts are focused. Yeah, you know, my wife sometimes claims that I'm getting old around the edges, and I just tell her, you know, <laughs> I, support, I support all of her enterprise needs. Uh, so, you know, uh, Demandware was certainly an enterprise platform. Um, and so, you know, we're not, we're not the type of company that has 200,000 merchants running through our e-commerce platform. We have many fewer merchants doing much, much, much greater volumes of GMV and at a much higher level of sophistication. And so I would say our deployments are to some degree as complex as the customer wants it to be uh, because of the flexibility that we offer. We do recognize, you know, one, as I mentioned, for the customers that are doing this really for the first time, you know, they don't have kind of a tremendous amount of e-commerce heritage within the company. Or let's say they're just a smaller, they're a mid-market company, uh, and maybe they, they have less resources overall to think about this. That's where we've really gotten a lot of traction from the quick start program that we've implemented, where it's, again, it's, it's more opinionated. It isn't a, you know, here is a palette that you can do anything with. It's more opinionated uh, and we'll come in or our partners will come in with a very scoped implementation and say, hey, we'll get you up and running in a couple of weeks. Here's the use cases we cover. And then you can sort of step into it and add from there. And that's been incredibly successful for us. Uh, the other thing is uh, we've also really worked on making, um, you know, some product developments that make uh, Commerce Cloud easier to adopt and implement overall. So one I'd mention is our partnership with Stripe around payments. Um, a key driver for us 
you know, every obviously every customer is going to use payments in some form or another. Payments integration is never a tremendously fun part of implementation. So we just wanted out of the box, day one, you turn Commerce Cloud on, you have payments integrated. And so we take that headache uh, out of it for uh, our customers that choose Stripe as their payments vendor. Um, and then the other thing is we did an acquisition of a company called Mobify. Um, and that really helps round out our headless story. Um, so headless airs more on the side of sort of enterprisey and flexibility, but I would say even as you come down market, there's much more interest in headless than there used to be. So the idea of, you know, commerce, not all commerce is going to be, you know, sort of tied, um, you know, to our back end and you have the front end that we prescribe for you as a store. Customers want much more control over how does that store show up as a progressive web app. Um, we looked out at our partner base. We have this great company uh, in Vancouver called Mobify, and they take, you know, probably a couple of months out of a typical headless deployment uh, by managing that progressive web app uh, front end for our customers. We also launched in July of last year a new set of commerce headless APIs uh, to, again, just round out the developer story, make those kind of complex or sophisticated headless deployments much, much faster. Um, and then the other piece I would say is order management. Um, so order management is really the glue between two of our flagship products. So our service cloud, which is really the largest product area at the company now, uh, and our commerce cloud. And if you think about order management, all the kind of sophistication around what a customer can do with the order, what an agent can do with the order, that really becomes the glue between those two centers of gravity. So those are all the areas where we focus on that have really led to, you know, significant gains and ease of deployment for our customers. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. Um, as we think about, like, delivering an omni-channel experience, um, we get a lot of questions around uh, marketplaces, social, mobile. Can we just talk about kind of how Salesforce helps its merchants uh, across each of those three channels and, and kind of how you bring it all together? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, I think the old world of e-commerce was drawing everyone to your store. So no matter what, you were hoping all traffic occurred on your storefront. And the reality of e-commerce today is the customers are where the customers are. And the customers are going to transact wherever they want to transact. And so you have to, we have to enable our customers, you know, to be able to provide great experiences uh, wherever their customers are. Um, so you mentioned marketplaces. This is a place, um, you know, where we've made some strong partnerships. You know, you'll see a couple of partners in our partner ecosystem, uh, whether it's Miracle in Europe or Marketplacer in Australia that both focus on those marketplace offerings. Uh, you know, Miracle just announced, um, you know, a joint deployment with us, with Commerce Cloud, uh, to launch Hudson's Bay's, uh, Hudson Bay Company's, uh, marketplace. Um, really, really successful example of the two of us partnering to deliver a marketplace for just a massive, massive retailer. Um, you know, in terms of social, uh, you know, again, this is very new for many of our customers. As part of one of our quick start programs, we really focus on getting customers up and running with social shopping, um, you know, again, just in a matter of a few days, uh, really focused particularly on Facebook and on Instagram, uh, which are probably the, the farthest along in terms of their maturity. I think over yeah. time, you know, you'll see all social channels really kind of offer much more shopping on a social channel. You know, if you imagine social, really they're making their money through advertising. You know, a, a sort of cost per click model is nowhere 
you know, near as effective for them as a cost per conversion or cost per sale. So I really think they're all going to sort of have outcomes-based advertising in the future. And of course, we'll need to support that as that happens. Uh, and then mobile, you know, I, I think this really speaks to our headless story um, and just having strong kind of mobile-first experiences that can be built easily with Commerce Cloud. Our, our Mobify progressive web app framework really makes that much, much easier. Um, you know, Under Armour is a great example of a customer of ours that launched their global commerce. Uh, you know, bef- before um, uh, before we had Mobify, uh, they used Mobify for the mobile piece of that experience. They use our reference architecture for the commerce or the uh, the web part of that experience. So partnerships on the marketplace side, uh, you know, quick starts and kind of native integrations on the social side, and then really Mobify, which we acquired, that helps us tremendously on that kind of headless mobile side. Yeah. So we had we did a session with Big Commerce earlier, and they were talking about um, you know headless as well. Uh, it seems to be a big thing. Any, any way to like frame where we're at in terms of headless penetration, like what are you seeing? I'm, I'm curious because you guys obviously have more of an enterprise customer base, kind of what, what you guys are seeing as a you know, barometer for the market. Yeah, you you know, you certainly see it uh, increasing quite rapidly in the enterprise. That's been the trend probably over the past couple of years, um, you know, and making, and that's why we've been focused on making it more and more accessible to enterprises, uh, whether it's with our headless set of headless APIs, uh, you know, or our acquisition of Mobify. I think what's been interesting is I've seen that come down market quite a bit. Um, so even in the mid market, um, you know, I think customers are really thinking headless when they can. It's still, you know, I would say it's still significantly more difficult for customers. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's why we're doing everything we can to just be the simplest option for a headless deployment. Um, because I, I think the future of commerce, you know, is probably significantly headless where, you know, the front and the back are just not that tightly tied together. Historically, they have been, but I think the future of commerce, you're going to have to show up in so many different places on so many different form factors and on so many different channels that the future is probably going to look fairly headless. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, maybe that's a a decent segue into, you know, a question around, like, how much of the commerce experience is powered kind of directly by Salesforce versus how much are you relying on, on marketplace partners? And I, and I guess that kind of gets into the question of, you know, our open architecture versus, you know, vertically integrated stack and, and philosophically kind of how you view the market. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you can think of it a little bit like uh, like the MarTech market. It's not nearly as fragmented as MarTech, right, where you're used to seeing a Lumascape with 8,000 logos on it. Um, but there are increasingly a number of, you know, just – best of breed kind of different pieces of the e-commerce stack that are important. Um, Our strategy, similar to what it is in marketing, is we want to kind of manage the most strategic aspects of that stack. Um, And so when you think about, you know, our commerce cloud, you know, it's it's vertically integrated for the parts that it manages. And, you know, I don't want to put a percentage point on it, but it's handling most of the complexity of commerce for our customers. But you're always going to have pieces of it, you know, that our third parties are going to be amazing at. And these could be things like, you know, managing tax. Um, you might have customers that, you know, want their own order management systems. Maybe they've had one in place for 15 years, you know, and it would be too much complexity to get off of. It may be things like managing the store, the in-store presence. And, you know, we've certainly made investments there, but we don't know for offer our own package for that. Um, so we believe, you know, let's manage the most strategic parts of that stack, sort of where the data is really concentrated. 
Uh, and then let's have an open ecosystem to, you know, sort of have a thousand flowers bloom in terms of our partners and give our customers the choice to round off, you know, the, the rest of the commerce experience. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Um, we have two more questions I, I sure. want to get to. Um, just how tightly is Commerce Cloud integrated to the rest of the Salesforce stack, right? And I'm thinking about, and you alluded to some of this with, you know, the integration with Service Cloud, et cetera, with the order management product. But, like, as you manage the customer journey across, you know, marketing, service, commerce, like, what are you able to do from a, a, a data perspective? And, and how should we think about, like, Einstein and AI kind of influencing your uh, your e-commerce uh, efforts? Yeah, so one of the things I would say, and this maybe speaks to ease of use a little bit, uh, is that our customers just get AI out of the box with Commerce Cloud. Uh, and so we think of it as first principles, right? If our AI works well, customers will drive more GMV. If they drive more GMV, it's good for everybody. Uh, so it wasn't something where we sort of charged extra for. So they're taking advantage of the Einstein platform sort of from day one uh, when they start with Commerce Cloud. Um, you know, to your point, I would say the best integration uh, between commerce and other products is really with Service Cloud and really by way of order management. That's really where the rubber meets the road between a service agent and a commerce experience. So we really focused on kind of that specific use case first. Um, you know, I'd say also on the marketing side, um, you know, we, we've made a lot of noise about our CDP, our customer data platform which we call Customer 360 Audiences, and we GA'd this at the end of last year. If you think about, you know, understanding your customer deeply, so powering, uh, you know, a customer journey uh, with all available data, CDP, a customer data platform, really becomes the heart of that. It doesn't matter if it's commerce data or service data or marketing data. You just understand your customer better by having all of the data in one place, normalized, and then ready to activate in your marketing channels. So those are really the two kind of main uh, avenues of integration across our products. And that's really probably the trifecta to think about uh, when you think about most of our B2C customers is sort of that commerce service marketing, uh, yeah. you know, sort of triangle that they create. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, last question from me, and it's the same one we've been asking kind of all of our presenters today uh, just to get kind of a, a good full scope perspective. And it's along the lines of kind of, you know, expect the unexpected. Like what, what's, what's a, a prediction that you have uh, about the e-commerce space over the next, you know, two or three years that, that may surprise folks? Yeah, normally when I try to predict the next two or three years, I like to predict that I'll have hair again. But, you know, I, if there's proof, there's you proof that I won't, it's Jeff Bezos, right? If the wealthiest person in the world doesn't, <laughs> I'm stuck like this. Um, when I think about the commerce space, you know, one of the biggest changes I think we'll see is this idea that everybody becomes an influencer. So not influencers, right, as they exist today, you know, on Instagram and things like that, but it's that brands figure out how to tap into their most loyal customers and activate them. So sort of activate them, reward them, but realize that their customers, their best customers are also their greatest brand ambassadors. And a couple of things have prevented them from doing that today. One is brands are often disintermediated from their customers, right? There's often, you know, maybe a retailer in between, you know, distributor sort of in between. Uh, and they're, they're not yet building kind of this rich profile of their best customers. They're starting to now. And the second is they don't really have a way to sort of activate them. Uh, and activate and maybe reward them. Um, but I think this is, this is because, 
you know, on, on now on both sides, right, customers are kind of looking for brands that they really strongly identify with, maybe because of the products, maybe also because of the social mission and message of the brand, but they're kind of yearning for this deeper connection with the brands. Brands are looking for a way, how do we amplify our message? And I think those two things will come together. I think technology will be an enabler of that. I think that's going to be a big change over the next couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I hope you're right. I can tell my wife I'm an influencer in uh, 2021. That's right. Um, that's right. <laughs> Adam, uh, thank you so much for, for doing this. Um, you got a lot in your plate and uh, exciting stuff uh, at Salesforce. So it's great to have this conversation with you and uh, really appreciate your participation. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. All right. We'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks. Bye-bye.